Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Enjoy. Um, we, we, we're going through a, a series uh, talking about as it is in heaven. And we're singing, obviously, the Lord's Prayer, singing that just before uh, and talking through what this concept means to our lives to make a statement like, God, I, I want earth to be like it is in heaven. There's a realisation that heaven doesn't have a massive issue with addictions. Uh, heaven doesn't have terrible neighbours that are fighting. You know, heaven doesn't have the challenges that we have today of, you know, Jesus' house getting broken into a number of times. Uh, heaven doesn't have the issue of, you know, if, if you leave your car unlocked in an hour, it may not be there in a couple of hours' time. Heaven doesn't have those issues. And Jesus is teaching disciples to pray and He's saying, hey guys, check this out. Heaven's doing pretty good. But right now, Jerusalem and Israel is a bit of a mess. And so when you pray, He's saying to His disciples, when you pray, pray that the Kingdom of God from heaven would come to earth and something would change on the earth. That there'd be transformation in the world around us right now. This is what He's teaching his disciples to pray and He's showing it, echoing on, echoing into the eons. He's not teaching us to say words. Listen, if your prayer life is wrapped up in copying words, stop. Find power that's attached to prayer when we attach to the principles of prayer, the principles of an interaction with the God of heaven and earth and seeing from that point change in our lives and change in our world. That's what he's teaching the praise. He's not saying, hey, listen, say some words. They're lovely words. Give you a little cross and go to, to life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, when we pray, there's power attached to it. We're praying here Tuesday morning. There was power attached to it. I tell you, when Sister Toy in here praying Tuesday morning, there was some power attached to prayers. Vinny, when we're praying the Tuesday morning, there's power attached with Gordon when we're praying. There's power attached when we stand together in agreement and we pray. Listen, our words, our prayer life has power attached to it. And Jesus teaches in the prayer, He says, hey, on earth, as it is in heaven, that we begin to prophesy, we begin to speak out onto our worlds. I, I love what John was saying before, when we begin to speak out around our, where our feet begin to tread. Lord, let your, your Spirit come into my workplace. Let your Spirit come into my place of study. Let your Spirit come into my spheres of influence, my friendship groups, my, my areas of involvement, engagement with my life. Let your Spirit come and change the world that I walk in. I wrapped up a series a couple of weeks ago and I wrapped it up with a story about our, our cat Fluffy. Now, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago or if you're a cat lover and now a Tim hater, you might have forgotten this story or not have heard it. But I was sharing the story about my son Jaden, who had a cat Fluffy, which was the worst cat in the world. Cat Fluffy would constantly poo around the house, wee around the house, and usually on my stuff. I'm not a cat lover. In fact, I could be known as a cat hater. I'm not a big fan of cats. But this cat more than every other cat in the world. I shared the story about Fluffy getting a tick on its neck and we take it to the vet. The vet tells us hundreds and hundreds of dollars and it still maybe die or you take it home and it maybe dies as well. He's like, it's a 50-50 either way. Listen, 
my vote straight away, spend no money and let the thing die. Even if it was a nice cat, I probably would have done the same. But Fluffy was an answer to prayer that the fact this thing was dying. But you know, I shared in this story, my son Jaden, before we're about to go away on holidays, someone was looking after the, ha- the, the house and the cat, asked me to pray for the cat. I assured him, and I've told you all this many times, I assured him I'd been praying for that cat for a long time. <laughs> Probably not the same prayers as my son's, but I'd been praying and fasting and speaking in tongues and all of the above. I even did one of these, Lord Jesus, take that cat to heaven with you. Jesus was torn. He didn't want the cat in heaven either. (laughs) Long story short, Fluffy went to be with Jesus. It was the toughest prayer of my life, trying to agree with my son, but being in utter disagreement. And let me be really clear, I never want that cat revived. (laughs) Ever, ever, ever want it revived. I talked about the fact that some areas in our life should never be revived. But let me be really clear. There are areas in our life that God wants to continually revive. He wants to revive our prayer life. He wants to revive our spiritual walk with God. He wants to revive the depth of our heart and how we relate to Jesus and how we have a deep relationship with God. There is reality that God wants that revived on the inside of us. And I would go so far as to say every single day, He wants to revive it in our hearts. He wants to revive it in our lives. He wants to revive it on the inside of us. Some things need to be revived and need to have new life breathed into them. And we got to be really clear that God wants to revive His church daily. He wants to revive us as individuals. He wants to revive us as families. He wants to revive us as the body of Christ. He wants to revive us every single day. I look back into Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. The Bible says, and then God breathed life into man. He breathed into the nostrils of humanity. He breathed into the nostrils of Adam and Adam became a living being. It was God breathing there at that moment, breathing into humanity and humanity was alive. They weren't revived at that stage. They just came alive. It was life entering humanity. Can I be really clear? Be so very careful about how you interpret the Bible. Be so very careful not to look at this passage and say, ah, maybe that this is just an allegorical picture of what God was doing and this is not really what we read and hear about in our science uh, exams and maths and, and all the things that we read about in school and biology. We don't hear that anymore, so maybe the Bible's wrong. Can I be really clear? We have a written Word of God that is the inerrant Word of God that speaks to our lives today and tells us that God breathed into humanity. Not humanity becomes something, God breathed life into humanity and we were formed in the image of God. Unfortunately, we see over a series of events, the fall of man. We see sin enter the the picture here. We see mankind needing a saviour. We see mankind needing God to come back and breathe life again into humanity. We see God coming now through Jesus Christ and breathing back into humanity the reality of being revived, of the breath of life. We, we, we look into 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in, in chapter 15, he says, So it's written, the first Adam 
became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now the Spirit of God is breathed into us. Listen, one of the greatest challenges of the world today is that people know that they're living beings, but they've missed out on the life-giving Spirit of God inside of them. Living beings means that we're alive and we outwork our animal instincts of life. Our sexuality is wrapped up in how we feel, not in what the Word of God points to us. Our, our outworking of every area of our morality is wrapped up in what we want to do and what I feel right or what I see in popular culture, not in what the Word of God says. And Paul writes and says, don't be conformed to the world around us. It's outworking of sexuality. It's outworking of morality. It's outworking of living, but be transformed by the Spirit of God as our minds are renewed. Paul talks and speaks to us about the revived heart and mind and how God brings us back to what He has created us to be through the Spirit of God. In the book of Acts, they gathered together. John made mention of it before in one accord. They gathered together, they're praying, they're believing. And as they gather together and pray, the Spirit of God breathes into them. Listen, if you're in this room and you've not felt the Spirit of God breathe into you for a long time, listen, today I trust that there is an encouragement in your heart to seek after the Spirit of God again, breathing into your heart, breathing into your life. If you're in this room and you've never encountered the Spirit of God, let me tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is life transforming, heart transforming, just the picture of your world, so transforming through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, moving in us, moving through us. In the book of Acts, we see what happens as the church is revived, as the people of God are revived through an encounter with the Spirit of God, as God breathes into people. But you know, incredibly, throughout church history, throughout history of, of the Israelites, as we read throughout the Old Testament, we see God reviving continually a nation, reviving continually a people breathing life again into the church, breathing life again into individuals and breathing life again into the corporate body of the people of God. In the book of Habakkuk, what an unfortunate name. I don't know if you're in the room and you're looking for kids' names. Habakkuk's not the kid's name that you should be looking for. I feel like all through school bullying comes from Habakkuk. I can think of a hundred things in my un unregenerated mind to tease Habakkuk about in his name, but we shan't do that too much today because he was a great prophet of God. He was around in Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah begins to prophesy to the children of Israel who are far from the purposes of God in their life, who have gone back to worshipping other gods, who've gone back to depravity in living, who've gone back and turned their hearts away from the way that God had wanted them to live. And Jeremiah begins to speak and say, listen, you've turned your hearts from God and He's going to allow, he's going to allow the Babylonians to come and take you into captivity. This is a time of great mourning as the, as the Babylonians come and they, they take the, the whole nation and they take them back into captivity. 
This is a, a terrible time for the nation. And Habakkuk comes and begins to pray. And listen, he is speaking to God and his words are recorded here as he talks about the difficult moments and the challenges of the nation and, and the issues with the fact that they had turned away from God and they made the wrong decisions in their morality, in their lives, in the way they live. And he actually lists off, listen, these are the outcomes of the mess that we've had. But he makes a statement in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. And he says, Lord, I've heard all the reports about you and I fear. He makes this great statement. He says, oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, earnestly remember compassion and love. He says, oh, Lord, would you revive your work in the midst of the years? Would you revive your work in our nation? Would you revive your work in our hearts? Would you revive your work in us as individuals? Would you revive your work? He begins to intercede for a nation, intercede for a region, intercede for all of those that are in His generation. He says, will you revive your work in the midst of the years? If I'm going to give it in modern day language, He says, would you revive your work in our generation? Now I look across this room, we have a a myriad of generations, but it gives us a picture of the generation that's alive today. We have in the room, we've got some babies. In the room, we've got some more senior people, <laughs> of which I'm becoming one of them, unfortunately. <laughs> Young people like Dot in the room. It's incredible that he speaks out and says, God, over the generation, would you revive your work again? God, the outcomes of our sin has been vast to our nation. Our nation has turned to heathenism. Our nation has turned to broken life. Our nation has turned to morality that has been so wrong that it's twisted the whole thinking of our nation. And he says this, would you revive your work now inside of us? I feel like the prayer of Habakkuk screams at 2022 and says, Lord, the outcome in our nation is mess and brokenness and depravity. Would you revive your work within 2022? Would you revive your work within this generation? Right now we see an increase in sin and wickedness. Would you revive your work again to the nation that we're in? We'll see attacks on the church, some warranted, some unwarranted. Would you revive your work? We see the church worldwide sometimes becoming dormant, stuck in the culture and sometimes just matches the culture around and we can't see difference between church and world. Would you revive again within the church? We see right now, right across the world, morality declining to a point right now that some people believe that whatever you feel is right and however you want to live is the way you live, no matter the damage to the people around you. We see nations turning on other nations. We see warfare. We see people okay with dropping bombs on places where women are having babies. We see it okay right now for mess to be just the normal and it be our news feeds every single day. Would you revive your work in this generation? 
I see a generation in need of the revival power of Jesus Christ. A generation in need of the revival power that starts always in the individual, that moves from the individual to the corporate, moves into the lives of who we are as a church. And at best, and at the fullness of what God wants, moves now into nations and sees nations transformed. Australia needs a move of God. The world needs a move of God. A move of God that sees change. Lord Byron made a statement. He said, the best prophet of the future is the past. I look back to the past and one of my favourite things to do is to read through church history, revival history, and the history of what God has done right across nations, across the globe, across the world, through the revival power of Jesus Christ. I love to do that. I love to read. I've read many books in my office of biographies of revivalists that have seen the moves of God continually poured out through people's lives and the history of nations being changed and transformed, society being turned on its head, not because of great politicians or because of good policies, but because of the power of God that moved in the hearts of individuals, saw the church explode to what God has created it to be. Psalm 78, 3 and 4 says this, The things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but, t- but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and His wonders that He has done. You know, sometimes we don't talk enough about the great might and the great wonders that God has done throughout the history of the church. Deuteronomy 32, 7 says, Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you elders and they will tell you. I love talking to my dad about revival. I know my dad has walked through moves of God in Taree, moves of God in Sydney, where we've seen incredible transformation in people's lives. I know dad is like me, loves reading the greats of the past, the Dio Moody's, the Finney's, these men of God that saw great revivals right across the globe. I think of our own family. Our own family is attached to the moves of God that has been in the past. This movement that we're part of in INC was a move of God. Started in a small place in West End and it spread across the globe. I think even today in the Ukraine, I look back to when I was 15 and Dad, we went to the Ukraine and, and Vinny, you went to the Ukraine and planted churches that are still there today in Kiev. We were in Kiev. When I was 15, planting churches as a move of God swept right through people's lives from INC movement. A move of God. And sometimes we don't stop and talk on the great things that God's done. And we forget about them and we get comfortable sitting in church and enjoying great worship and preaching. And we forget that God called us to be a move of God a move of God that changes the world. We get comfortable in our Christianity. We get comfortable in just a simple belief system that we take with us. And yes, praise God, it gives us a great life. Yes, praise God, it can shine a light around us. But listen, God doesn't want just a light to shine. He wants a light to transform. He wants it to illuminate cities, illuminate nations. Think back to the 18th century in England on the verge of revolution. They say back in those days, one in four women in London was a prostitute. One in four women. Many of them in their pre-teens, as young as the age of eight, they say. They said thousands every month were dying from syphilis and gonorrhea. 
Crime was so bad in, in England and London in, that, in those days that traveling in the daytime was dangerous. Traveling at night, you would never do because you would be robbed, you'd be mugged, you'd be killed. Slavery at this point was at its peak in the British uh, Empire as slavery was, you know, in, in such a curse on humanity was at its absolute peak there. They say in London, one in six homes was a bottle shop where they were selling alcohol. One in six homes. There were tickets sold for public executions as people would go like the theatre to sit and watch people be hung and cheer on those that were being killed. Such was the depravity of England during that time. Such was the mess and the brokenness that had followed the decline in the church and the decline in morality of that time. But in amongst that, a group of young men came together and prayed and had an encounter with God early in that 18th century. Young men, uh, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, a number of young men encountered God during that time and saw an incredible move of the Spirit of God that shifted the whole atmosphere of a nation. Not just a small church, not just a small town, but shifted the entire nation. Randall T. Davidson said this, Wesley practically changed the out outlook and even the character of the entire English nation. That was his statement at the time about what had happened because of the Wesleyan revival. Revolution that had been spoken about continually, that had happened throughout the other European nations, was done away with. The Victorian age was birthed. From that came wealth to the nation. From that came wealth to the whole commonwealth. From that point came a caring from others. Hospitals were built because of the Wesleyan revival. People built universities because of what happened in the Wesleyan revival. Because of the move of God that happened so powerfully, the abolition of slavery within the British Empire happened because of people that came out of the Wesleyan revival, found Christ and realised the greatest curse on humanity at the time was slavery and thought about getting rid of slavery from the British Empire. All of those things happened because of a move of God, because of revival in the hearts and the lives of many, many people. They say this within a few years of uh, John Wesley's death, there was 500,000 people in the Methodist church in England alone. Such was the power and the transformation that came from that. One of those guys that came out of that was George Whitfield. He travelled to America a lot, spent a lot of time in America, in Scotland, in Wales, in the different areas preaching. They say this guy's voice was so powerful and when he preached was so profound that 60,000 people could hear his voice when he preached. Listen, Pastor Wendy's yelled at me before. She is probably the only person I think could ever also do that and someone, 60,000 people could hear her voice. But you've got to get a really angry for that, let me just say. George Whitfield and another guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards travelled throughout America preaching and saw the first great awakening in America, which was a, 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 a thing that really transformed America from a bunch of people there into a great nation. Prosperity followed that great awakening. Blessing followed the great awakening. Everywhere that that had went, blessing, uh, everywhere that the great awakening spread to blessing followed it incredible blessing in the nation prior to obviously the nation turning back to liberalism and going back to their mess of living if we go into the the 19th century out of 
the Methodist movement, we see the Salvation Army beginning to spread. Another great revival, a revival that was about transforming society. Listen, I've read hundreds of books and I could speak about it all the time about the great power of what happened in the first years of the Salvation Army as they saw people pulled out of poverty. They, they saw people turn to Christ. Hearts changed, lives changed. The alcohol in the nation that had ruled the nation removed in so many areas of their society. They saw out of that people being trained for work, people working and again, blessing returning to the whole of England because of what they did. Social transformation came through the power of revival through the Salvation Army. Listen, the gospel spread into Australia, into India, into Sri Lanka, all through the Salvation Army as they carried the gospel powerfully. At the same time in America, Finney saw a great revival poured out, which they call the Second Great Awakening. They say this, they say, during that time in the northern part of America, shops were closing whenever there was a church service on because the people said, you're better off being at church than being in and buying stuff from my shop. There was towns in there that had grown because of the move of God. The town grew by two thirds, with two thirds bigger, but crime dropped by two thirds because as such was the power of the move of God. Listen, it was a second great awakening and the preaching of Finney that stirred the abolition of slavery in the Americas. It was the outworking of the kingdom of God that rid slavery from the world. It was a move of God. It was revival in the hearts of people. It was people being stirred on the inside. Listen, they say of Finney, they say that he would have done church services, he was doing church services and they would have communion in the church service and slave owners would walk into the church service and he would refuse them to have any communion. He would say, no, you're a slave owner. You're carrying the curse of humanity right with you. Get out, you can't have communion with us. It was the move of God. Listen, it wasn't good people. It was a move of God. It wasn't lovely folks that thought lovely things. It was a move of God that made a realisation that society needed to change, that needed to be transformation. They say under Finney's preaching in America, half a million people made decisions to follow Christ. Listen, if we go into the early 20th century in Australia, uh, Finney was supposed to come and others were supposed to come, but Finney actually died and R.A. Torrey came in, in his place in 1902 when he came in 1902 there'd been 10 years of prayer leading up to a series of meetings that they were to have in Melbourne they've been praying for 10 years for a revival in the nation 10 years at that stage you know Australia was in a in a mess there was you know difficulty they were coming into federation there were challenges right along that but there was an incredible move of God that was seeing 250,000 people a week coming to church meetings right across Melbourne when Melbourne only had a million people. The, there was out of that such incredible transformation. They sent crusades right across Australia uh, into New South Wales. This, this is when the early gospel went into the Pacific nations that we now know as of Christian nations of, you know, of Samoa, Tonga, uh, the, uh, Papua New Guinea, in, into Solomon Islands. This was when that originally was the spread of the gospel in the Pacific nations. 
there was 10 crusades traveling up uh, through the middle of the New South Wales regions. And they say 15% of the New South Wales middle regions came to Christ during that time. Community changed so profoundly. First thing they said happened was people that had carried debt with them for a long time paid back their debts. They said it was a massive challenge in the coal mining um, uh, cities at that time, but all this debt got paid back within the months after the move of God that it actually brought prosperity to that whole region. It brought prosperity for two other reasons. Number one, language changed. They said there was a, a, towns where nobody swore at all within a town. And the coal mining uh, animals had to be retrained, which also happened in the Welsh revival in Wales because they were used to the miners swearing at them and their language changed so much. To add to that, after the moves of God went through those, those regions, the work output doubled in those regions because people worked harder. Blessing flowed through those regions. And quite obviously, church attendances went through the roof. You know what, if you go and have a look at some of the outworkings of, and statistically, some of the outworkings of crime, alcoholism and addictions through those regions continually changed. As the nation grew through those years, crime dropped. As the nation grew through those years, alcoholism and drug addictions and those things dropped. Why? Because when there's revival in the church, there's revival in a nation. When there's revival in our hearts and a renewal on the inside of us, there's revival in our nation. Listen again to Habakkuk's word. O Lord, I've heard the report of you. I fear in moments of time. But O Lord, revive your work in this generation. I look at Anala today. Anala needs a revived work. A revived work, a revived work. I am grateful that we help hundreds of families every week down in marketplace. I'm grateful that we do that. But listen, it needs a revived work in the hearts of men and women. I, I look and you know what? In a revived work, we may never need a marketplace in the future. It may have to turn into a youth hall because people don't need that anymore because there's change in a region. If we see what's happened in revival, it's a revived work. Habakkuk says, Lord, revive your work in the midst of our generation. Revive your work in the midst of our lives. He picks up a reality that needs to happen in us. Revive me, revive us, revive our world. Why? Listen, when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, He made a way for heart and life and world transformation. He made a way. He made a way. I look at my own life at the age of 19, revived in a transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. That if you ever want to talk to my father and talk about the change of the past, or even my brother-in-law down here, you would hear a story of a transformation that happened in an encounter with a living God. And that revived heart has revived hearts. This is what happens when God continually revives us. But listen, my prayer today is this, revive me afresh. Revive us afresh. 
Let your kingdom come. Let it come. Let it come. Let it come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. In my life, in my heart, in my thinking, in my mind. In Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God. Revive us, O God. I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So for more information about City Point West, jump on citypointchurch.com or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.